It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's uh, 1 o'clock, and I'm excited to be in the studio talking to two fantastic guests today. Um, in case this is uh, the first time you happen to be tuning in here, you know the, the show is really built around the concept of me liking to have great conversations with really talented people and Specifically, those people that have talent uh, in their role, that they are working with people, they have direct reports, they're actively thinking about their talent uh, and and those different challenges and uh, maybe strategies that they might take upon themselves to be fantastic. So, you know, really uh, have the privilege of meeting so many inspiring leaders and talk to so many of these, these great minds that we developed this show to be a place where we could have that conversation in a more public forum. So that uh, everyone who's interested can tune in, listen to the show, learn, engage, talk about, argue, whatever it may be. But there's really what we've come away with on a regular basis is just some fantastic stories of of how different individuals have been able to overcome or to bring an, an inspiring new way to work to their companies. Uh, a lot of those stories are in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. You can pick that up wherever you buy your own books online, but uh, a lot of the, our, our best stories are in there from the first uh, four or five years of the show, and hopefully we'll have more of those coming with a lot of the great guests we've had since then. Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but many of you, actually most of you, come in after the live show. Kind of find us on the podcast, on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for subscribing and rating us and following us. We really enjoy everyone being a part of that and the over 10,000 of you a day downloading at least one of our shows. So uh, a big thank you. Uh, before we get to our guests, don't forget you can be a part of the conversation, whether you're listening live or after the fact, by just following on Twitter at PeopleG2. You can also follow that hashtag Talent Talk, all one word. My social media maven, Sarah, diligently puts the best questions, the best answers, the best comments, uh, links to books and the profiles of the guests and all the information that you probably wish you had at your fingertips, but don't as you're listening, maybe in the car or working out or watching soccer practice, whatever you're doing when you're listening to podcasts. Um, But she's got all that information there, so you can go there and and grab it right away. My first guest will be Steve McKee. He's the co-founder of, you guessed it, McKee uh, Wallwork and Company. And then uh, we'll bring in Brian uh, Breath, the Vice President of Talent Acquisition at FAIR.com after the commercial break. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in uh, Steve. Steve, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, Chris. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you and your company as it relates to our conversation today? 
Sure. I uh, I do a lot of things. I'm an author and speaker and columnist and have founded a tech startup. But my day job is a marketing strategist, a.k.a. corporate shrink. And so, you know, I know you're very much in tune with uh, company culture. Uh, and that's uh, a lot of what we do from uh, through the marketing lens for organizations. And it's fascinating. I, I mean, we'll kind of go back a little bit here. And you know, about 10 years ago, you wrote what is now somewhat of a, a, a seminal book published uh, in foreign languages uh, called When Growth Stalls and uh, How It Happens. So, I mean, we can kind of start uh, that conversation there. You know, I, I find that uh, you, you, you know, the, you're kind of a subtitle to that book, which is, you know, why you're stuck and what to do about it. Uh, and, and, and maybe it could kind of help us walk some of the parts of the book and, and what we ought to be thinking about when we are stuck inside of that area. Uh, you know, and also maybe, you know, where to start, where you kind of started in some of that leadership journey and how the book came about. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a sort of a fascinating story. I like to say we failed our way to success. How the book originally came about is my company stalled. We were, um, we're about 23 years old. And in our first year of eligibility, many years ago, we made the Inc 500 list, you know, fastest growing private companies in America. And we thought we were pretty hot stuff. And then inexplicably ran into some rough waters and stalled, and uh, it, was, it was about a 20-month period where we had, I'm a professional services firm, we had 94% turnover. And that was uh, extremely unpleasant, as you can imagine. And so not knowing what to do about it, which was kind of embarrassing for a company that prides itself on helping other companies grow, <laughs> right. um, we decided to commission a research study among Inc. 500 companies since we'd made the list, rightly or wrongly, we thought maybe we could learn something. The list had been around for 20 years at that point. So several, you know, there were a few thousand companies that had made it. And we said, let's see what we can learn about uh, what happens when growth stalls. And we did the research and the lights went on, really illuminated for me a different way of looking at the world, particularly the dynamics within organizations. And we used it to turn around our business. I started speaking about it. People started asking me, where's the book, you know? And five years later, uh, through another wave of research, we wrote the book. And the rest is, is really history. We've now become the nation's foremost experts on turning around what we call stalled, stuck, and stale organizations. And that gets into sort of the the rest of the subtitle. So I don't know if you want me to keep going or... Yeah, well, what's fascinating is, you, I guess, the first part of your talked about that high level of turnover. And... You know, any organization that's going through that, and often I get brought in to, to maybe help companies look at that from a culture perspective, but even if we just talk about what's happening to the executive team or to everyone, if, if you have that many people leaving and you're spending yeah. so much time and energy dealing with the loss, dealing with how to replace them, de- dealing with the recruiting and the, and the interview, I mean, that would just suck up every bit of resources, I would think, for any organization just trying to keep up with replacing the people that may be going uh, or we and we had a little bit of different challenge because we were uh because we had stalled and we were adrift we were selectively not replacing people ah. and let me tell you you think you're getting away with that but the rest of the staff they, they pay attention you know they notice and so when somebody leaves and you don't replace them and then somebody else leaves and you don't replace them what do you think it causes everybody else to start thinking right maybe i ought to get off this sinking ship and and you know, you, you can't lie to people as their leader. You can put the best face on things, but that only goes so far. And so that's why th- those internal dynamics really are the game when growth stalls. 
Yeah, and and you and I've I've seen this before, and and, and even in younger in my career, I mean, I had a little bit of this, uh, kind of went through this, but. You know, they don't replace one or two people, and then they come to the, you know, someone else, and they say, "Great, guess what? You get to do their jobs too." In fact, we'll even give you a yep. new title, right? You're now the whatever, whatever. But they don't usually ever give you more money for that, right? You're just gonna keep, you're just gonna absorb all these responsibilities for the same price tag. And so now you have your some of your best people who did stick around, completely overworked, and even if they weren't thinking about leaving, why wouldn't they leave they if they're completely overworked, right? Yeah, especially if they're if somebody is trying to pick them off, which often happens with good people. Yeah. How else, you know, does it happen? What else should we be thinking about as as the company kind of gets into this mode of, of being stuck or stalled? Well, what we find is that you 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 can get into the stalled or stuck mode through very often through an external event, and we, we our our research. Uh, characterized many that we sort of grouped into three categories. You know, what's happening in the economy when there's a recession, obviously. What's happening to your industry if there's a new regulation or a new technology or something that can cause companies to stall. And then what's happening to a company within an industry, like an aggressive new competitor, what have you. But that's stuff that every company has to deal with. It's the art of corporate strategy, and it's nothing new. What blew our mind and what really was the game changer was for destructive internal dynamics that really rear their ugly heads when right at the wrong time when growth stalls and left unaddressed they can create a vicious cycle that can take a company down the drain and and, uh, if you look at a lot of recent high-profile bankruptcies whether it's Toys R Us or Circuit City or Yahoo or soon Sears all four of these dynamics are going on within organizations at all times. And just briefly, and we could talk about them if you want. Please, um, yeah. One is the first and most common and most destructive, honestly, which I'm sure you've seen, is what we call a lack of alignment or a lack of consensus among the management team. And the reason it's the most destructive is because it it happens quickly. If you're all making your bonuses and, and getting pay increases and conquering the world, it's kind of easy to ignore some disagreements. But as soon as your mortgage payment is threatened, you start to question the guy across the table. And that lack of alignment is the number one problem because if it doesn't matter what your strategy is. If, if you're not aligned around it, it's not going to happen. Uh, and what's so sinister is that it's often unrecognized, sometimes by intent. Uh, you know, a, a lack of alignment can manifest itself in passive aggression, in the rolling of the eyes, in the being late to meetings, in the hallway conversations, all those sort of soft internal cultural dynamics that it's easy to ignore or to turn turn away from because you don't really know how to deal with them. And so that's the first and most destructive internal dynamic. That is often related to a loss of focus that organizations, when they're struggling, they start to lose their way, either because they got knocked off their perch or because maybe there's a recession or a new technology or something and they start chasing business that they really shouldn't be chasing or, you know, cutting their prices when they shouldn't be cutting their prices. It can manifest itself in a lot of ways. I mean, this is really, we we can look at this in so many different areas, but, you know, if you're losing, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, you start questioning everything. You question, like you said, those people, the person sitting next to you, you're questioning the organization, you're questioning your place and your role. Uh, And it is amazing how winning uh, or success can often sort of, I guess, Add a lot of uh, extra lubricant to that problem, right? I mean, it, you should overlook a lot of things. I, I'm, I was just suddenly thrown back into my days of when I was coaching, and we would intentionally build in periods of time where the kids would go to easier tournaments, right? We would have 
several months of guarantee we a lot of wins um, so that later on we could take them to really hard tournaments and have a lot of losses and we could endure that and the parents wouldn't freak out and they wouldn't leave because you're right I mean you, you too much losing even if it's for their own good even if they're overcoming and achieving and it's gonna help them in the long run people can't often see that they get stuck in the in, in the present and the now and then they kind of freak out a little bit right yeah and as a coach you could modulate that but as a CEO you can't always dictate yeah. that. And that leads to, and you've touched on it right there, you've got your lack of alignment, loss of focus, inevitably leads to a loss of nerve, which is the third internal dynamic, fear. And that can manifest itself in a lot of ways. You know, companies sometimes pull back the reins too much on things like marketing and R&D and training because they're, they're scared, uh, somewhat naturally. But it also manifests itself in sort of an internal spirit. You know, maybe we aren't that good. Maybe we don't have the answers. Maybe my career would be better elsewhere. And that just makes matters worse. And the last internal dynamic, uh, and again, we could probe these as much as you want, is inconsistency. That when companies run into rough waters, when growth stalls, uh, because of these other things are going on, they tend to look for silver bullet solutions and not have as much patience as they should. And so it's often easy to cast about looking for this answer or that. And the awful thing is the lack of alignment tends to lead to a loss of focus, which fuels a loss of nerve, which fuels inconsistency, which only further fuels the lack of alignment, and you see the cycle. You see that cycle. My company was caught in that cycle for two years. We didn't know it until we did the research, but as soon as we saw it, it's like anything, right? Recognition is the key to overcoming. As soon as we recognized it, we said, okay, first things first, we have to get aligned around a clear direction and get our courage back. And without boring you with the details, that's effectively what happened. And we've been managing the company ever since that way. Really interesting during the recession how that worked. Um, and we've been consulting. And this is what we do now with organizations. We find that, and that's why I joked at the beginning that I'm called a corporate shrink. Companies will hire us because they think they need help with, their, with the external dimensions, strategy, which they do. But a lot of, a lot of you know, smart people can deal with that. What we help to reveal to them is we, we go inside and we peel back the layers and we say, this is what is really going on inside the company. And if you don't address this as well, the rest of it doesn't matter. And I know you know that. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the things that we have always done and that I, I tend to preach to, to people externally is uh, this concept of transparency. And it's often really easy to be transparent with everyone in the organization when things are going well, when you're making your sales numbers and, you know, you're landing big clients and, and, and all that stuff. But it's really hard to do. I mean, it's uncomfortable to do when you got to show up to a meeting and say, we lost this big client. Uh, we didn't yeah. land the one we thought we were going to. Um, you know, we're it can be a trick. It can be a trick to manage transparency. I mean, how much is too much, right? Right. You want to be transparent because people know there's something wrong and you want to become clean about that. But you also don't want them to freak out. You don't want to cause a further problem. Right. That's a tough line to walk. Yeah, and, and so for us, it's always, if we're going to deliver bad news, we also deliver to them what we've done about it, what was what was talked about, what was done, what is the what is our plan now, uh, and then to give updates on that plan uh, so that people can feel comfortable that we are, you know, we're taking it seriously. I, I learned a, a lesson back during the big recession in 08 and 09 uh, I'm a I'm a pretty even killed person. I don't you know generally get overly excited, and so I was confident we were going to be okay and everything was going to be all right. And so I was very centered about it, and we, we were doing things, but we weren't talking enough about what we were doing. 
Uh, uh, but I, I had yeah. a plan. I knew we were going to be okay. And I came to find out later on that what my people really wanted was for me to freak out. They wanted me hmm. to show them that I cared, that I was passionately worried. I was worried about it, but I didn't show them. I thought I was showing them this very calm, it's going to be okay attitude. And they were like, they didn't think I got it. They were afraid I didn't wasn't taking this seriously enough because I didn't show enough. And 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 I'm not gonna you know jump out of my out of my shoes and and start yelling and screaming, but I could show them in other ways uh, about the activity and the things that we were doing. So, you know, it's it, it's a tough line to, to to walk. But I think I find the more that people have the information, the better ideas, and the more actually more committed. The, my best people are actually more committed to me. Because they say, I get what I get it. I understand what you're doing. I understand what happened because you've given me all the information. And now here's the five things I think we should do. And they come up with some really good things. Yeah. And then if you're being honest with them, the trust is there. Right. It's when they, when they, when they either believe that you don't know what's going on or you're hiding something from them. You're just exacerbating those internal dynamics. Yeah. I, I just had lunch with a friend who said his wife said it, had to go to this mandatory meeting, called last minute, no agenda. And they all walked in taking bets. Are we, did we just get funding? Are we all laid off? Are, do we, are we having, you know, some layoffs? I mean, they, they knew it was a big meeting, but there was absolutely no transparency, no communication. And so they're walking into, is our world about to radically change for the good or the, or the worse? And I was like, I couldn't even imagine having that kind of meeting in, in our organization. Well, I, I can't either, but I do know from both from the, the consulting that we do and even in our own organization, you know, we, we think we're communicating and we're not. <laughs> right. So it's over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. Yeah. And people often ask, what does that mean? And I say, if you're not communicating on more than one platform, you're already not communicating enough because some people need a text, someone an IM, someone an email, someone a verbally, someone a webinar, you know. And so we try to, if it's you know anything important, we're trying to hit them three different ways. Yep. Um, and people learn differently too. So right, and they need to hear the message more than once. I mean, I think we make the mistake as leaders saying, "Well, I told you." Uh, it doesn't mean they I were sent listening. Out the memo. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine defined communication as the meeting of meaning. So that was really interesting hmm. that they, the meeting of meaning, meaning it, you sending a message is not good enough. Right. They have to receive the message. They have to receive the message you intended. So yeah. it's the meeting of meaning. And I think that's, boy, that's hard to do. Well, I, when, we, when we talk about what makes a good listener, it's often someone who can make sure the other party understands that they were heard. It's, yes. n- it's not just that you heard them. They have to do something to say, I, I to d- demonstrate that. So they kind sort of closing that loop, right? And that makes a big difference. So, and I think that's a part of what we try to do, and we preach that companies do to mean transparent, is to allow that loop to happen. So, here's what we're doing. Here's what happened. Now, what do you think? Okay, and but it's not easy. It's hard, uh, and uncomfortable sometimes. So, it I, is, and that's the art of being a good leader. You know, we think it's so much about being a strategic, you know, genius. It's so much about EQ. You know, not just IQ and empathy, not just. Uh, you know, killer instinct. There's so much to it. Yeah, I I, om- I almost think uh, that maybe a good book title might be you know being a good leader. It's it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time. All um, the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. I mean, if you're comfortable is in a leadership position, you're just avoiding everything. Um, and that's what yes, that's what we <laughs> see. And so sometimes you know we come into a company where growth is stalled, and they can if you can sort of turn the dial and ha- help them to see that. 
uh, it really almost takes care of itself. Uh, other times, they're in denial or they can't see it, and it's hopeless. It, it really isn't very often a matter of external strategy because all of that can be done. It's a matter of is your corporate culture healthy enough? And I have this theory about, my, about the four internal dynamics. I happen to believe that they're present in every company all the time, and the best analogy I've found is it's like health, physical health. You know, inside your body, there are bacteria that are trying to kill you all the time, and health is the stasis when your immune system is successfully defeating those bacteria. When you get hit with a stressful event or get caught in a blizzard or whatever, if your immune system gets compromised, the bacteria arise, and if left untreated, they can kill you. Same thing with a company. All these dynamics are in there all the time. We're not going to agree around the, around the conference table as a management team on everything all the time. Not at all. But it's when things go bad that our corporate immune system gets depressed. Mm-hmm. These, these issues can arise and left untreated, they can take the company down. And it's, it's so important, and I hope that uh, those that have been listening today can kind of start to think about the internal dynamics. I mean, we didn't have time to get too far d- deep into what we can do from a branding standpoint and then some of the other research that you do, but I certainly uh, would uh, hope that people can uh, check out your book uh, and find out more. One of the things I did want to ask you, is there a, a book that you're reading right now that you typic- or maybe one that you typically suggest people check out? The book that I'm reading right now is called Traction. It's a fascinating book about how we tend to focus on product development and we tend to neglect distribution development. And the author's thesis is if you're all focused on building a better mousetrap and you're not spending your time on getting that mousetrap to market, you're going to fail. And so he actually suggests that you um, spend 50% of your time on each. Which is so it's fascinating. It's just kind of rocking my world. <laughs> yeah, and Traction is a great book and uh, certainly one that has come up on this show quite a few times. So if you haven't checked that one out, you definitely should. And, you know, how can people find out more about you, your company? What's If they'd like to, to get help, uh, maybe they feel stuck, what's the best way for them to reach out and, and find out more? Yeah, well, our, our website is mckeewallwork.com, W-A-L-L-W-O-R-K. Or you can get there by simply typing in whengrowthstalls.com takes you to a landing page, but it, it's easier to remember. And we have all kinds of resources there. We have hundreds and hundreds of thought pieces about uh, corporate momentum that you're free to dive in. And there's even a 20-question self-diagnosis that you can take. It takes 60 seconds to get a sense of how your company might be doing against these four factors. So that's whengrowthstalls.com or mckeewallwork.com. Well, we all enjoy answering a few random questions to be told exactly maybe how things are going. So maybe maybe that'll help people begin uh, that process uh, of self-reflection and maybe making things better in the organization. So, uh, Steve, thank you so much for being our guest today. I really enjoyed it. Uh, some really fascinating insights. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things that you're doing. Love to. Keep up the good work. All right. We'll be right back with my next guest, uh, Brian Breath. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. 
Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Steve McKee, you can get his interview along with one I'm about to have. You can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio. You can go to TalentTalkRadio.com. There's lots of great places to find, follow, and subscribe uh, and you can also get us on Twitter. So if you follow at PeopleG2 or monitor that hashtag Talent Talk, we're always letting you know about uh, shows that have popped up, ready to download, uh, who our guests are going to be for the week, all kinds of other exciting news. And we do live tweet them. So I'd uh, love to have you give us your input, uh, get those those little quotes, those details, uh, follow our guests, whatever you want to do there. It's a great place to go and do that. So my next guest, and I hope I'm saying his last name correctly, but Brian Breath, Vice President of Talent Acquisition at Fair.com. If I'm saying it wrong, he's going to let me know right now. But Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. How are you? Uh, It's great to be here. And yes, you pronounced it perfectly. Perfectly. All right. Well, I have failed then as a host because usually I screw up someone's name at least once per show. So if I don't do it today... Uh, the world may end, but anyways. <laughs> Why don't you tell everyone about yourself uh, and what we should know about you, and of course, tell us more about your role over at FAIR.com. Of course. Uh, as you said, uh, so I'm the Vice President Head of Talent Acquisition at FAIR. I just joined the company recently uh, in September of last year, and I've been I've been doing talent acquisition. I've been in that field for about 20 years now, going on 20 years. And uh, I uh, am originally a native of Cleveland, Ohio. And um, that's where I got my start in recruiting. And uh, I worked in an agency environment for a few years, uh, transitioned and worked in-house at a corporation. And it went like that for about the first half half of my career, where I would go work agency for a bit, work in-house, work agency, work in-house. Uh, and then uh, as of 2009, I just made the choice to just stay in-house. Um, and I think recruiters coming up, you know, they have that choice of, of working in an agency environment or working in-house. And I think for me, being in an in-house team and usually talent acquisition recruiting is part of, of HR, you have the opportunity to focus on one organization and how to grow that organization and hire the best people for it. I think that in doing that, you you gain a level of business acumen that you're not really exposed to when you're working in agency recruiting. And so I moved to Los Angeles in 2007, and uh, I uh, uh, worked uh, at a digital surveillance company in downtown Los Angeles for a couple of years and then worked in ad tech. I was the head of talent acquisition at a, at a company called Rubicon Project. I uh, went from there to Riot Games uh, and led recruiting for uh, Worldwide Publishing for a couple of years. And uh, so that brings me to where I am today. Well, given your vast expertise in the talent acquisition uh, acquisition world, I- I'm wondering, you know, so a lot of our listeners kind of range from smaller organizations to larger organizations. And maybe we could kind of talk right. about what some of the challenges are that are different, right, in one group versus the other. It, it definitely depends upon the size of the organization because you have different considerations. In my experience, in the smaller organizations, especially the startups, 
and I'm sure you've been inside of those conversations, you know, and talking to them, uh, you know, or your own experience, there's a lot of bootstrapping going on, right? You know, a lot of people are wearing a lot of different hats. And so a lot of the things that you're doing are it, you're building. You're sometimes like when I was at Rubicon project, you're building from scratch. And so, you know, you may be, uh, working in an organization that doesn't have uh, an applicant tracking system. And so that's what you focus on in terms, you know, and putting that in place so that you have somewhere to manage candidates and put them through a process and collect feedback, et cetera. And also at smaller organizations, uh, they tend to, from a branding perspective, they, they may not be as, as well known. And so, you know, those are different conversations for recruiters to have where you've got to figure out sometimes guerrilla kind of ways of getting the word out about the company and the opportunity that exists at that company, as some people call it the employee value proposition. And so those are some of the considerations at the smaller companies. And also, too, uh, you may have budget restrictions that you're under because, you know, uh, the company may not have gone through the round of funding yet or things are really tight. And so sometimes recruiting managers have to take on a lot of the things that uh, independent uh, or individual contributors take on at larger organizations. So I think those are some of the things that smaller orgs, larger orgs, you're really uh, focusing on doing things at scale and uh, and really getting uh, operational excellence in line, focusing on uh, quality and balancing that with speed. Because I think all too often, going back to what you're challenged with in smaller orgs, especially startups, you know, the investors want you to grow as, as quickly as possible. And so that means hiring people as quickly as possible. And so I think in smaller orgs, a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, quality is, is, is sacrificed. And I think that as you get larger, you get to a point where you really need to focus on, on quality and especially retention, you know, as, as the company grows. And so those are considerations as well. And two, you know, I think with both, uh, with both, uh, you know, smaller and larger uh, organizations, uh, you know, I think everybody is trying to figure out, like, what's that, uh, you know, what's that mix of, you know, perks and, and benefits that, that sort of get people in the door? I mean, when you're a company like a Slack uh, or, a, or a Honey or whomever where there's better brand recognition, I think there's a degree to which the company sells itself. Um, but uh, if you're not very well known, even with some larger organizations, you know, that's, that's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so whether those challenges can be, you know, totally different. Uh, and I think that's important for organizations to look at what size am I, what, what is it? I, you know, maybe companies at my level or should be doing or thinking about, uh, I think we make that mistake of often a small organization looking at what a large organization is doing and just, you know, we get frustrated and say, well, we just can't do that. We can't afford it. We don't have that, those tools. I've also right. seen large organizations trying to act in and and sort of take a strategy of being very nimble and and to be do what a small company can do and that's not possible either right and that's not their value right. and, and bringing it in so uh, it's certainly well uh, a good kind of a baseline here for for the conversation uh, you know I guess in general for looking at talent acquisition are there other things that we should be focusing on today that maybe is different than the last few years. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I've been having this conversation a lot recently, and um, I did a podcast a few months ago with Stacey Broadwell, who, uh, uh, you know, founded the Tech Recruit Conference, and we were talking about workforce planning. And um, I think that 
you know, in, in talent acquisition, you know, for, for us to be really effective, we have to be, we have to constantly think about how we can add value to the organization. I personally believe that talent acquisition is a, is a strategic function of the business. We become that when we are more proactive in how we work. Um, and what I mean when I say that is, it's, it's getting inside of those conversations that allow us the ability to, to see further downrange. And, and, and that conversation specifically, or one of them at least, is workforce planning. You know, we, we right-size or resource our team uh, against the hiring needs of the business. And so we're really the only variable cost structure within HR, uh, as well as what I, I think a, a revenue driver as well. Um, based on the fact that we hire people, but I think that all too often, you know, workforce planning typically happens where you get the you get the business unit leaders together. You know, they 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 put their resource plans for a year together based on what the strategic goals are, and then you know, finance and accounting or finance approves it, uh, and then there's this go, and it, it's sort of at that point that you know, town acquisition is sort of given the heads up that okay, here's what you're hiring for. And that that means we're in a reactive position from the get-go. Uh, and then the way I think we should be looking at it is inserting ourselves into that conversation uh, far sooner. In fact, when the conversation of, of planning for the subsequent uh, uh, fiscal or calendar year comes up, uh, because I think that we have a lot to contribute in terms of, you know, perhaps uh, market data uh, based on our conversations with candidates. Uh, or or time to hire, uh, difficulty in terms of getting positions on board because all that is relevant information, especially for finance as they're as they're truing up their uh, their uh, their books uh, at at month end close uh, all the time. And I think that a lot of a lot of TA or recruiting leaders don't necessarily think to put them inside of those conversations, but in doing so, uh, they give themselves more room to to not only resource themselves but act more proactively to the business needs. Sure, sure. Well, I sort of given your experience, and I know everything from your your time uh, in sort of this area and around talent acquisition. I know, I think in looking at your LinkedIn, you're a, a vet as well. I just sort of wonder what your, as a leader, what does that look like uh, for you specifically with your team, right? How do you provide them support? What do you think your role is a, a, as a leader that we might share with the audience at large? I I really look at it as a as a service position for me. Uh, I'm I, my job is to get out of my team's way um, and, and and help them be the best that they can be. Uh, and it sounds a little, uh, you know, I, I think some people hear that and they think and they and they think it's kind of like uh, you know airy fairy or whatever. But I, I I truly believe that. I think you know it's it's our job to uh, uh, to really do the blocking the blocking and tackling of anything. Obviously, my role, I'm here to set the strategic vision for the team. And, you know, when I talk about, when I talk to people about, uh, the, you know, possibly joining my team, I really want to get inside their head about, like, what are their goals and aspirations? Um, because it's also my job to give them some, give them a future to live into. And because I think that's what keeps people around. I mean, obviously, compensation is important to everyone. Um, and uh, that that's only a... a that doesn't keep people around for a long time. I think uh, if they're not filled in knowing that and having the experience of being developed and growing, they're going to look elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, and I love that uh, idea of, you know, getting out of people's way. I mean, I've often asked my team, I'm like, how am I getting in your way? I mean, trying to help them articulate that. You know, is there some way I'm being a bottleneck? Is there something we can do to help, you know, you guys go faster and, and to not need, uh, you know, sort of unneeded blocking if, you know, sometimes it's unintentional. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, and I think, and I think you know, it's it's sort of the, you know, I'm a little bit of a Star Wars nerd here, and so uh, if anyone who's listening has not seen The Rise of Skywalker yet, or excuse me, The Last Jedi yet, you know, there's a line in, in that movie where Yoda says to Luke Skywalker, you know, you know, we are what they grow beyond, and that's a that is a that is a commentary on on, on leaders, you know, uh, and 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 those who are their team members, right? You know, the way I look at it is, yes, I am I am what my team grows beyond. That's my whole that that sort of encapsulates the whole philosophy behind what I think is leadership. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, if we can do that for our teams, if we can be that kind of leader, it's really great. Uh, you know, sometimes people have a hard time doing that. I'm not sure if you've seen that too much in, in your work or the people that you've worked with where, you know, despite themselves, they sort of want everything to go through them. They want every uh, every bit of information, want to look at every decision. And, and often it comes from a good place, but it ends up being a really bad result, right? Um, mm-hmm. They want things to be right or they want things to, to help their team learn or whatever it is. And, and it ends up just killing everyone's morale, everyone's energy. Uh, I don't know if you've seen examples of that or have an idea of how, you know, how do we turn that around or how do we get someone like that to think about it more in the way in which you're thinking about it. So it, 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 just to kind of recreate that, it, it's kind of like how do you sort of take folks who are sort of more authoritarian in their approach? Yeah. Right? Or, um, or scared. I mean, it may not be so authoritarian. It may even just be, you know, it's micromanaging, right? It's just trying to make sure yeah. everything is perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's hard, right? Especially if, especially if you're, if the commitment is to is to do it right, or the commitment is to you know have a have a particular level of quality of service, and the experience is you know most people don't live up to that, and so you end up doing it yourselves, right? And you know I think it's, uh, so I recognize that it's hard to give that up, and I think that. Uh, for for those folks who are who are wanting to try a different approach, you know, in my experience, where I've had moments like that, um, I, I've just given it up. And and you know, your team your team is only going to be as good as you empower them to be. And if you're if you're kind of micromanaging it and taking on all that stuff yourselves, you may be producing results and getting stuff done. But what happens is you're really you're really uh, taking away from what's actually possible. Um, again, my view, because I, you know you're 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 sort of squelching. You know, uh, if you have four people on your team, you're squelching all of that input to kind of try and just manage it yourself. And um, you know, again, you might end up producing the result, but um, what ha- what might have been possible, you know, is, is lost on that yeah absolutely absolutely well I, you know i was wondering as we're kind of looking at this uh leadership reflection a little bit uh you know is there advice that you might give your past self uh not only about leadership but i guess even just sort of getting into the space that you're in in recruiting in in talent acquisition you know what is it you sort of wished you knew back then you know if i guess uh we, we can keep with the yoda theme right what do you wish yoda would might have shown up and told you <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, 
You know, look, I got started when we were still like faxing resumes to candidates and I had a Rolodex, like an actual like physical Rolodex of, of contacts. And, you know, even back, so, so we didn't have like the technology to, to necessarily track KPIs, like performance KPIs. Um, that doesn't mean that, that we couldn't have. And I think that, you know, when I look back in, in, you know, what has us be reactive versus proactive, I think that one thing that helps is being related to your KPIs or being related to the data. Uh, because when the managers come at you and they have questions into, you know, regarding how long is this going to take or, you know, why isn't this happening faster or, or whatever, I found that when you are when you are related to the information and and, and especially intimately related, uh, it helps you it, it helps turn your conversations from simple ex, react, reactive explanations to consultative and advisory conversations. And if, and I wish I would have known that earlier. Well, that's a great bit of advice, and I think a lot of us. Uh... You know, we could we if we could go back in time, right? And you know, I think most leaders don't necessarily have regrets, but I think you know, you wish you could have learned more or known something that just helped you be more effective. And that's often a, a great part about leadership. If we can provide those lessons and help uh, mentor and, and and bring those bits of information to those that are starting out uh, on our teams or wherever it may be to help them, maybe not have to go through some of that stuff or to learn those lessons the hard way. Um, mm-hmm. Right, and, and, and so if we go the opposite direction now, you know we, we've talked about the past, we've talked about the present, what we're doing, but you know what are you seeing it for the future of talent acquisition? I, I think that uh, I think you're going to see uh, more of a partnership between uh, talent acquisition and HR when it comes to uh, building the organization, because I think that you know they're going to. I think each is going to take more owner take more ownership over what each respective area brings to the table from a strategic perspective and uh, and and start to find a new way of working together uh, and then I also see you know for talent acquisition just as it continues to evolve where uh, we continue to leverage AI and machine learning uh, to help us uh, free us up uh, from uh, to do more higher value activities, which are, you know it, are, are the relationships that we build, uh, not just with work, the business uh, and the stakeholders that we work with and hiring managers that we work with, um, but with the candidates that we source. You know, I think you know there's there's a lot of things happening with like video interviews, uh, automating the interview process. I don't think that that's going to take away from the humanity uh, of it necessarily. You know, we have control over. Um, how much humanity we put into the process or take away from the process. And so the way I look at it is uh, the way uh, technology can help is uh, it will free us up to have more meaningful connections, uh, you know, with, with the businesses that we serve and the candidates that we that we source. Well, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, your company, and need help with their talent acquisition? Best way to do it is on LinkedIn. I, I get I get people reaching out to me on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, Brian Breath, uh, I work at at Fair. Uh, please reach out to me and mention that uh, you know you heard me on this radio show, and uh, I would love to connect. 
Well, uh, fantastic. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the great things that you're doing. Really, really enjoyed uh, learning more for, about what you're doing and, of course, more about uh, the, the world of talent acquisition. So thank you so much for being on the show today, Brian. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you, everyone, for turning in today. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Uh, our next live show won't be until February 18th. Uh, and our guest then will be uh, Jonathan uh, Kayser, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and best-selling author and founder of the Kayser Institute. And then Christine Rowe, chief people officer, chief culture evangelist. Uh, boy, I'm just you know, all over the road. There you go. I screwed one up. There we go. Uh, and love of all things, people. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.